Hey, this is Angelo Cisco from Alpha Hippie. And if you want to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy, you should be listening to Stories That Sell with my brother, Scott Ramage. You have the knowledge, the experience, and the talent needed to succeed. But in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough. Your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal. This show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy. Tune in each week as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and authors share how they built empires on the backs of their story. You're listening to Stories That Sell with your host, Scott Ramage. Hey, before we get started, imagine having a team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, sending out marketing emails, creating content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. The Ace for Gyms is here to make sure your business runs as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everyone is limited on, more time. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms.com. That's V-A-S-F-O-R-Gyms.com and book an appointment to find out more. On this episode of Stories That Sell, I have a really passionate and emotional discussion with my friend, Angelo Cisco. Angelo has a history of owning a CrossFit gym among some other businesses. And in this episode, he really shares his passion, his vision, and what led him to running Alpha Hippie and moving his family from the Chicago area to uh, California, San Clemente, California. Alpha Hippie's mission is to help overwhelm men over 30 who are stuck in stress and burnout, reconnect to their mission and rebuild their lifestyle so they can enjoy their free time again and get back to crushing it at work. Uh, you guys, Angelo is a very passionate and open human being. You're going to really enjoy this episode. Hey, Angelo, welcome to the show, man. Pleasure to be here with you, brother. Thank you for having me. I always have a great time talking with you. So I've been looking forward to this and uh, I'm just so happy you're here. Thank you, man. I could honestly say from text message to phone calls to podcasts, I can't recall one time that I've left any conversation that we've had with less energy. And that's a good sign for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely reciprocated. I feel the same way. So, uh, we do. We, we have awesome things to talk about. It's just, it's easy. Uh, but I want people to get to know Angelo and I want them to understand what it is you do, what you're passionate about. And really, I think I know where this starts. It starts when you were young on the streets mm-hmm. of Chicago. So uh, tell me a little bit about your upbringing and your, your history. Sure. So I grew up in Chicago and uh, I grew up in a uh, you know, if you watch any movies, a very typical Italian-American family and Italian-American community. And uh, speaking of movies, you know, a lot of people, when they hear Italian-American communities, the idea of being around uh, sort of a criminal or gangster sort of thing, uh, I would say yes to that, too. My father was in prison uh, from when I was five till I was 16. And the way I could look back at my upbringing now, those first five years with my father, especially a man that lives 88% from his gut and his, can I say balls? Yeah, okay, cool. Just from his gut and his balls. And then he, he tries to justify things later. It really uh, was amazing now looking back at what this man was able to do with me in five years. And uh, I, I don't believe that he knew he was going to jail, yet when I speak to him about this now, he knew that that could possibly be an outcome. And maybe that's why he jam-packed so much um, intensity 
as a father into me in five years. And, and what I mean by that first is my rite of passage was around four or five years old, one of my first ones. And uh, it began, uh, so right outside of Chicago, when you make it, there's like a Hamptons. And depending on where you are and where you're from, you either go to Lake Geneva, or uh, which is Wisconsin, or you go to New Buffalo, which is in Michigan. Those are like the Hamptons of Chicago, like when you do it. And so my dad and my godfather, who he ran with, they they were in Lake Geneva and we had the boat and the house and all that good stuff. Yet when it rained, what well, my dad's favorite thing, my dad loved a party, right? My dad just loved doing that. And so when it rained, my dad would rent a hotel room so that we could swim all day at the hotel. There was no way we were not having fun. And this particular day, which winds up being what my dad calls my epiphany, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know right of passage yet, he calls it my epiphany. It really began that day. And this is how he tells the story. I remember bits and pieces of it. And so we were hanging out at a pool and it was just me and Guy. That's my dad's name. And that's how I refer to him now. Um, and uh, he saw three kids picking on me. And I was five years old, and I didn't understand how to stand up for myself. I was a kid, right? Like, I see my son now, he's at the park when, you know, he pushes someone. I'm just like, you know, kids don't understand that as much as adults maybe do. And uh, I just didn't do anything. I just went, I just went away from him. And my dad saw this, and he was very angered by my response that I did not stand up for myself. And so when those kids went to the locker room, Scott, my dad pulled me out of the pool and walked in, walked me in where they were. Like there's like a changing area and most ways to get to the pool, you shower, do all that stuff. My dad walked up to the kids and he looked at me and he told me to hit them, hit them. And so Dude, I'm a little boy. I do what my dad tells me to do. I do what daddy says. And so I hit one of them. And uh, from a young age also, too, my dad would teach me to punch his hands and very much physical violence. My dad really believes in uh, money is second to protection and providing physicality is number one. Hmm. And obviously with his profession, uh, he, knew, he knew a thing or two about that. And so he, I hit one of them. And the kid hit me back and my dad looked at me or I looked at my dad and he told me not to stop until they were all done. And I fought all of them mm. and I won. And my mother who wasn't there still recounts how proud my dad was that I did that. And, uh, just like when you and I chatted on your show, you had your moment when you kicked that guy, right? And uh, mine is don't stop. And that became my move. I just, anything in life now, as I've grown older, I knew that the key for my victory or believe that the key for my victory is just don't stop. If you could... Get pat when I get past my emotions, short-term failures, feeling sorry for me. I know that deep down, there's a part of me, my little Angie, that knows that I don't stop, and that's why I'm gonna win. And my dad would throw me then later in life in situations and force me to do things that once he saw me uncomfortable that that became my default setting as I just leaned into him. Uh, you know, I remember skinning my knee and then like walking with like a limp. And my dad, my mother would let me walk with the limp or whatever, because that's what mommies do. They, you know, the feminine energy keeps you where you are. And my father would, oh, it would, it would drive him crazy. And so like any moment like that, if I, if I didn't want to learn to swim, 
he would just drag me and throw me in a pool and rip up my floaties and look at me and go, now you're going to fucking learn to swim. Right. And, and I was brought to these very high intense moments at a young age. And this was all pre-kindergarten, August 23rd, 1989, he was arrested. And so this was all pre-kindergarten for me. So to say I had a, my innocence was removed from me at a young age is, is very true. And then implemented this idea that these are my dad's affirmations, you've even though he doesn't know how to speak in the affirmative, you know, so much yet, these were that. Don't stop. When you're nervous, do it anyway. And he always used to ask me, do you feel that in your stomach? And so he really helped me get in touch with my instincts and not let my mind or, and or my fear, which resides in the mind usually, override action. My dad was all about just lean into it and you're going to find the heaven after. And it, looking on it now, it's as enlightened as you get, right? If you could, if you could just step back away, I'm sorry, when I step away or when anyone listening steps away from the methods, the lessons are absolutely priceless. And now as a man at 37, I'm just like, I text my dad with gratitude crying all the time. Every time now that I think about something like moving to California with my family, just leaving O'Hare across it, which was a comfy, beautiful life, right? I make a hundred, hundred and a half, rest of my life, butt back, knees out. Great life, right? Hanging out at this point, too, in the game, you know, 10 years in the gym. What was I there? Four hours a week? You know what I'm saying? Unless I was there to, like, take class and hang out and play. You know, I had a basketball rim back there. We would just play games, you know? And so that was the first years of my life. And what I've taken the most is those affirmations. And then also, too, I am able to go real deep real quick and what i love the most about that now as a coach and guide of men is i'm ready to meet you at the bottom of the pool i don't care about the surface meet me at the very bottom and i'll just hold my breath till you get there and it has provided me not with confidence because i believe confidence is skill a self-esteem that I can't erase if I tried, right? It's, it's, I have moments where I forget it. But once I get back to my old friend, I'm back to my seat of power. And uh, it was a continual, once he went to prison, it was uh, 11 years of just continuing to force me to be a better version of me. And for many years, it was abusive, right? Through words, or we visited him once or twice a year. And uh, it was just hard to be around him. I was scared to be around him. And yet, it, it allows me now that I'm no longer scared of my dad, and he's just Guy Cisco, that the fear of the world, having faith in the world, is great because deep down my Angie, the only person Angie's scared of was his big daddy and nothing else. And now as a man where I, my dad and I are friends, the, the amount of fear that I feel, or I feel fear yet my mechanism and also too how much it could really freeze me is not anywhere towards anyone that had any sort of trauma. And then what was really amazing, now that I look at it too, the mentors that I recasted for my father once he left, an uncle, a man I worked for at 12 years old, and then eventually his son, who I worked for in my late teens and early 20s, because they were all from the same culture, they all fit an archetype like my father. These were men that were 6'1", 240, 50 pound men that believed in 
being this way. You anticipate things. You you pay attention. Uh, you make sure when you do something, you do it all the way. You know what I mean? All these things that I often overrode because their methods were really abusive as a young man. I am so grateful for now as a 37 year old man. Well, you're anything but soft. And, and I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, you just, you just described more, you went through more probably until age five than most people experience in, in that, in that lifestyle or in that fight back or dig in um, and, you know, don't stop mentality. Why is it that you were able, and I want an honest answer. Why is it that you were able to take this and use it as fuel as opposed to where we see so many people use it and as an excuse or use it as a crutch or use it as a reason why they have failed? Like, what do you think the difference was? For me personally, I really, it took me a while to let go of the methods. and because that was what hurt the little boy. And then when I was old enough to have reasoning, I could understand that because love, empathy, and, and reframing are very mature, wise things. They're very complex. They take time. And, you know, if you ask me at nine years old, I just thought my dad was a dick too. And a lot of these stories that people could get stuck in holds them back. And instead of looking at it now from an unbiased or unattached to their feeling perspective, these are lessons that I even tell my dad. I, I messaged him this last week or a couple weeks ago. And I said, if I knew back then what I was going to turn out to be because of these things, I would have took your beatings with a smile. Mm. And he felt, he feels bad. My dad sometimes about it. And uh, I texted him. I said, smile because your little boy still thinks you're his fucking hero more than ever. And what the hell else could you want in this life guy? And uh, he felt absolutely amazing after I, I sent him that message and very grateful for it. And until I took the trauma that happened to me and made it for me, it owned me instead of me being grateful for it, right? I want to be grateful for the past and I want to have enough gratitude to know that the future is happening for me. Once life is happening for you and not to you, whether that be in the past, because then there's no depression and no resentment. And then for me, there's no anxiety or not none, but just less attachment to anxiety. I'm human, just like everyone. Once that I was able to have that shift, life got much lighter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that type of outlook that this happened for me instead of, you know, to me, that type of outlet will change everything. Yes. How, how's that? How's that mindset? How's that uh, viewpoint helped in your businesses? Oh, my goodness. So what I originally started doing to really dig into the past stuff was trying to look at everything that happened for me, which helped me re remove the idea that things were good or bad. And then being able to step into my business without such harsh judgment of things in the short term has allowed me to then escape such small level bullshit that I used to sweat and think it meant so much and give it so much weight where now it's much lighter because I'm lighter. And now as someone that owns businesses and, and, and my job is to not sweat the small stuff and keep our eye on the long-term stuff, 
it's completely shifted because I actually, I show up better, excuse me, I show up better. And more importantly, I treat my team and my customers better because I'm not holding on to anything that's not serving me as as longer than it should. Yeah. Yeah. Those are profound shifts in operation. I mean, profound. Most, I would say that most guys uh, or even women who grow up with a father who was put into jail or imprisoned when they were five would have a lot of anima animosity. Um, Yeah. I mean, what's your, (laughs) there's there's i know many like i said because of my culture uh, i know many people who had fathers go to prison and most of them end up doing nothing or becoming drug addicts and and things of that nature and uh like i said i was very fortunate that subconsciously i recasted other mentors along the way where there wasn't any masculine that I could attach myself to. I really don't know how I would have turned out if there wasn't a replacing masculine model in front of me. I may have resorted to a gang, right? right? I may have depended on drugs to help me forget about these things. Now, I I had my share of rebellion yet it wasn't a form of self-deprecation my friends and i as far as rebellion go we'd go shoplift (laughs) you know what i mean we would do like knick-knack things you know and uh i really feel fortunate also too then that god put these other men in front of me that were open to my experience and also too they were either in prison or had fathers in prison and they understood what I was going through. And so they, they gave me enough grace to understand that and not when I would act out, they wouldn't shame me any further. They knew that, God, this guy's living in a house with three women, my sister, my mother, my grandmother, right? That, They'd get nervous if they tried to see me, if I was, they were watching me jump a fence for crying out loud, right? These are just loving, nurturing women, you know? And uh, so they really supported me in such a great way that I was able to do that because of their understanding from their own experiences. And I really believe that for a lot of people, especially anyone that's struggling now, especially in business and things like that, Having a strong male role model, even if it's something that you rebelled against or didn't want to be like, having the example is key. Any example is better than no example, if you ask me. Just like indecision is worse than wrong decision. At least I had something to play off of. Is it ever too late to get someone like that? I mean, if if a guy's 33 and he had no male role model... And he's listening to this and he's like, man, what do I do now? Man, what an amazing question. This is my most difficult coaching challenge that I'm working through right now is I get two types of men in my program. I get men like me that have hard charge through life. And my journey is to get them to their little boy again and reclaim their hearts. Those guys, pretty easy. Not pretty easy, but just the dance is a little bit easier. When I have someone that is still in a stage of innocence in their heart and I'm trying to get them to their to their balls, it's rather difficult to choose it as an adult because why would anyone choose abuse? Right, because now I know and we're aware. And so it takes a certain type of person that really, really is committed to doing that and trusts a guy to do that. I don't know how anyone after the age of 25 would choose 
to do these things because the hero uh, uh, in the story usually gets thrown into something that they don't even realize they're getting thrown into and then they figure their way out. Right. When I study rites of passage, a boy gets taken from their mother and has no idea what they're doing. And that level of surprise is what usually breaks the pattern or helps them realize that they're stepping into a new world. And as an adult, to choose to step into that new world, I have the most highest level of respect of because you're choosing trauma in uh, despite your and short-term discomfort for the betterment of you. And that is often the heaviest and hardest lift I have with men in my programs. And even as a coach and a guide is really getting them to want to go so deep because that post-traumatic growth is the growth. It's the best part. It's, who you come out of after that. And for someone to choose that as an adult, I have an extra level of respect, even if they don't make it through the thing. Because even to say, yeah, I need this sort of beating, you're right. It's unbelievable. And I wish anyone the courage to do that. Right. I, I, I know that my circumstance was rather unique. And as an adult, this is it's elective. Right. I got pulled out of that pool. So I'm very fortunate. Yet, as an adult, you have to pull yourself out of the pool because there's no daddy. There's no guy says go watching you, making sure you're doing it. And so the accountability, it's all self accountability, yet the ability to choose that. Because you know deep down that you want to, or that you just want to find out who you're really made of. And you and I really believe that everyone, that's what being alive is all about. Living is waiting to die. Mm. I can't help but think about the people I know who are entrepreneurs and, you know, maybe, maybe have embraced, I don't think all business owners are entrepreneurs, but those, those business owners who started something themselves, which is entrepreneurial. I can't think of anybody in that realm who succeeded, who didn't have a little bit of that, that, that tenacity to dig into discomfort, pain and, and the hard stuff. Yes. Let's, there, let's go ahead. I, I really feel like the ego gets a bad rap. And I believe the ego is such an important tool. It's just misused. And so what I let people know often is ego is first gear on a stick shift car. You need it to get off the starting line. But once you go to second, you don't want to be in it anymore. Like, right, once you get going, you want to let it go. But to think guys like, you know, explorers looked across a body of water and said, I want to see what's on the other side of there. That was their egos. There's, I'm that, I want to be that guy. I want to see if I could do it. And that's your ego. And so it's, to me, misuse of ego or over-reliance or staying in first gear won't serve you. Yet to get off the line. What do you when that when I get up at 5:30 in the morning and I don't want to put my feet on the ground and I want to stay in my warm bed and cuddle with my wife, my ego puts my feet on the floor. Mm -hmm. And then once my feet are on the floor. I go back to treating myself lovely, but don't get me wrong. There's some great P words, B words, get the F up. You know what you're here to do. Like that verbal talk to get me out of those moments, because without that sort of ego, we would not have advancement. 
that's a that's a I've never heard anybody say it that way, but I can think back on my own journey in businesses and where uh, ego did get me. It, it was the kickstart. It was the the fire burning underneath, right? You're like, I can, I am, I am the best at this. I will crush it. Yeah. I've let it go too far, too long, and it's so, you got to find your edge, like right. in yoga, right? You got to find that edge. <laughs> Yeah, me too yeah so true that's so true but it is it's a very powerful tool that i think a lot of people don't plug into so you you your first entrepreneurial real entrepreneurial um what was your first real entrepreneurial uh, me, baby as far as i joke with my wife sometimes i'm waiting for my gold watch and my entrepreneurial pension <laughs> at this point right. in my life my first you. my first business venture i was 17 years old i owned part of a pizza place i i got my first job when i was 10 years old guy cisco didn't let me uh, we had a saying in my house or at least from guy if you can't add don't subtract and wow. i was not a i was not a very stud athlete I was overweight, and so I went to work at 10 years old. I cleaned up a, a barber shop that I went to for $4 an hour, two days a week. And then uh, I had my second job when I was 12, so I had two jobs. I worked at a restaurant and a barber shop, and then uh, the restaurant owner wanted to do pizzas out of a certain section of the restaurant, and then he and I worked together there, and so... Uh, that was my first venture. I was 17. And then uh, I did that. That didn't work out. And then uh, when I was in my early 20s, I ran poker games. Hmm. Uh, you know, a 2000, or, you know, what year was that? 2002, you know, uh, that was the, uh, or 2003, that was when uh, Chris Moneymaker and the World Series of Poker and all that came out. And so, uh, I realized that the money wasn't made playing poker. The money was being the house. And so I partnered up with a local uh, man that had a warehouse. And uh, I would uh, deal the games. But meanwhile, it was our game. We split it. And people would stay up just like in the movies, two, three days. You make sure, you know, to make a good poker game, you have uh, a combination of good poker players and criminals because criminals had the money and the good poker players would stay two, three days with them to, to have them keep playing. And uh, I did that for uh, that game went for a couple of years. And then uh, I eventually moved into my uh, my dear friend. His father had pizza places and their main concept was having gigantic slices of pizza and one day we looked at it the restaurant was closing up and we didn't have much money on us and i said why don't we take all these slices that were left over we'll throw them in the catering truck we'll drive down to the city and sell them the drunks and we'll just have fun and it was like the summer in chicago he goes okay let's just see what happens and then fast forward, I wound up making a deal and I fed an entire Chicago police prince, uh, prince, what's the word? Precinct. Precinct, yeah. And uh, I brought pizzas there and I said, I'm going to be parked over at this bar. If any of the officers on patrol, let them know I'll feed them for free. And so they let me double park and block a sidewalk. I made friends with the valet guy. And then I made friends with all the promoters. So they would text me and let me know how big the guest lists were. And so I had a spot there. And then I would just, even in the winters in Chicago, I would be there selling pizza for the first year. And then I found another spot on the other side of the city that was more later uh, bar time. So they would close at four instead of two. And then I had an, we got another truck and then I had employees by then. And then there was a business that sold pizza. And then I would wake up in, you know, from the morning and then they were just being envelopes of money in my glove compartment from people selling pizza. And then that's when I had time to, and I stumbled upon CrossFit. And I was 300 pounds at the time. And then uh, January 5th, 2009, I started doing CrossFit. 
and I lost 100 pounds. We still had the pizza going on, but because the pizza was such a nighttime gig and it was, I would only go when I really wanted to or on real busy nights to help people. And so I was able to go full force on learning fitness, nutrition, and exercising myself. I lost 100 pounds by July of that year. People were around my neighborhood were very, uh, you know, they were very impressed by my transformation. I just started training people outside for free. And then I realized I was like, man, why can't this also be something that I do for enterprise? And so I started training people for a free, uh, for a fee at a park in September starts getting a little bit chillier in Chicago. So I rented a racquetball court space. I renovated it. And instead of, uh, it was like one-on-ones up to three-on-ones in this little racquetball court space and had everything really set up there. And then I didn't like getting closed for all these holidays that I could care less about voting days. And I was like, man, it's time for me to leave this spot. And November 11th to 2010, I opened up O'Hare CrossFit. And then I had my 10 year in, uh, in CrossFit. Wow. Yeah. And, and then I don't know the, I, I know some of the story, but, and then you decided I'm going to leave all this behind. I'm going to move to Southern California. I think you're in Southern California. Yeah. I'm in, and, uh, I'm in San Clemente now. Yeah. And so 2014, at that point, we were in my second location. I started in 2,500. And then by then I was in my second location. It was 5,500 square feet. And you know the game back then, 2010, pre-Reebok, butt back, knees out. I was a hero right? Who wasn't signing up, right? It was the coolest thing. And then on came Reebok, on came competitors. And also too, for any gym owner, there's also a point in numbers where you have to decide if it's going to be a hobby or a business. And for me, I really didn't get a chance to decide because one day there was zero people and the next day was 200 and there was just too much money for it not to be a business. Right. Like you go from making two, you know, 40 grand a year, just training people. And then all of a sudden you're in the six figures and you're just like, wait, I have to have processes and standards and I can't just tell people yes all the time anymore. This is real stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, and uh, I realized, though, 2014 was the first year that I didn't have crazy exponential growth like I really believed that I was going to be the guy that kept doing this and didn't understand competition geography just the whole marketplace I didn't get it so I went into a big victim hole Mm. was really aggressive and mean towards my coaches then blame them for the lack of growth blame my clients everyone but me and then I stumbled upon Emotional Intelligence 2.0, which is uh, mindfulness for business owners that didn't want to say the word mindfulness, if you ask me, like looking back on it now. And I took took the test and realized that I lack this thing called self-awareness. And so I said, okay, well, at least I found out what I need to work on. That was was the thing. And that began a self-awareness journey, which then turned me on to coming to Southern California uh, to learn from other business leaders and, and in that place. And also, too, got exposed to a world in SoCal of meditation and breathing and these different experiences that are out here, retreats where you go through your childhood and reframe a lot of the things. And that spawned alpha hippie that was where alpha hippie was really born because i came back from a retreat in 2016 very big year for me as far as traveling and and really growing and i told someone just out of you know just off the cuff i said well you don't understand what i'm trying to explain to you because you're not an an alpha hippie I was like, wow, what a cool idea. That's who I really dreamed to be because so long in business, I subscribed to the Gordon Gecko style of business, right? That just aggressive, 
I did what my dad taught me to do, right? I just played that over and over again. And then I really believe you just ran over everyone and everything and people really didn't matter. But then when I started digging into me and my own feelings, I then was able to to discover this, the E word empathy and really started learning about my feelings and people. Then Alpha Hippie was the name I started. Uh, then I looked for shirts. There was no shirts available. No one made a shirt called Alpha Hippie or that said Alpha Hippie on it because that's what I wanted to do. I love making my own clothes. I don't, you know, if it's, or if it's like a shirt from you, I love it, but I love it where I'm not buying a brand that I really don't know. I want to know the brand and rock it proudly. To me, that's what clothing is or style is, is what do you represent? Not what is someone you don't know represent? And uh, I bought a hundred, I printed out a hundred shirts, obviously with the gym, we had a good connect, you know, and uh, I just began passing them out to people that I vibed with, or I would go to, retreats in like costa rica and i would bring a duffel bag of shirts for everyone that was at the retreat and it just became this fun thing at first and then i was like man going to these retreats every quarter are epic yeah how can i stay connected to these amazing people all year round and the gym was in a great place by then with systems processes so i wasn't so heavy in it and then i just started the podcast and just to selfishly to stay connected when I wasn't there and keep my mind integrated. So it wasn't such a shift back and forth. Like I needed to get out of town and then cross it. You know, I did the business coaching stuff. I had people at the games and I started looking at fitness in itself. And I was like, man, well, What's frustrating me now? Because being 100 pounds overweight really frustrated me. And then I did weight. I lost weight to solve that problem. And then I looked at, okay, what have I been trying to solve in myself with this work that I've been diving into now that I feel qualified and want to help other people with? And what really frustrates me is when men are not showing up in all the ways and really believing that we're here just to make money and give people money and provide that for people. And, and that's all we're here for. And I really wanted to, to help men grow and see that there's more to life than just making money. And there's more to you than just making money. You're what matters and not just what you could provide. And so I made the first course, Alpha Hippie Masculine Mastery. And uh, I just pitched it to everyone that would listen. And, uh, you know, it was a beautiful thing where I walked people through the four pillars. I called it physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional, and just really shared all the tools and tricks that I've been learning and implementing. And it was a lot of fun. It was a 12-week program. I ran with a lot of men locally in my gym or some people were remote. We did calls. And uh, I realized more and more into 2019, this was pre, pre even COVID doing that, that this was where I wanted to move towards and I wanted to sell the gym. And we, my wife and I, uh, January 1st, 2019, uh, my wife took a pregnancy test that day and uh, we found out that we were pregnant or she was pregnant. I say we, but you know, she does all the hard work for the first nine. Anyway, you were a little involved. Yeah. I was, you know, I was the injector and she was the creator. And, uh, I realized a couple days before just thinking about my life and really reflecting and my son was going to be born. I didn't know he was going to be my son, but my child was going to be born and see a version of me that would look like a highlight reel. And I didn't want that. I wanted him to, or her to see me be who growing and inspired. And I, I didn't want them just to see me be comfortable because that's not what life is. That's not the, the model that I wanted to be. And uh, two days later, 
I wound up having a son. And then a month later, I already spoke to my wife about moving from O'Hare across it. And the Alpha Hippie was going to be my focus. And then a month later, I said, well, the fact that we think we have to do it here is only another short-term limiting belief that we could change. I said, where would you want to live and raise our son? And we've loved San Clemente for a long time. And uh, it's a beautiful little quaint surf town with a lot of great history. And it's sort of stuck like in the 1960s. I'm very 1960 madmen nostalgic time uh, in my, my parents, in my life, you know. We were to Kennedy. We that's who we wanted to be, right? We wanted, you know, that was the the cream of the crop to be like the Kennedys, you know, in my house. And uh, I loved living here. And uh, my wife was very inspired to do this. And we told our families on Christmas that we were moving to California in the summer of 2020. I told anyone that listens, uh, and the reason I I believe in that is. A lot of people I talk to go, why would you say and tell everyone that? Well, I'm a real big believer in study and manifestation. And even if someone, see the subconscious mind and the divine do not know sense, does not know sense of humor and uh, small little things. Like if you ever have someone go, don't look at the tree, you look at the tree, right? Even if they say don't. And so I would tell anyone, because even if they told me it was a bad idea, I pretend that there's satellites in the world, even if they leave me and they go talk shit to everyone in their family that I'm wacko, that they're my satellites putting out a frequency of manifestation to help me do this. So not only do I say, did I say I was moving to California, I was doing it in the summer of 2020. And then the house comes second because I'm not attached to the house. I'm attached to the manifestation. And so when COVID came, did, did the plan for selling of the gym change? Yes. Did, did how it was going to go down? Yes. All of those things changed, but the outcome, the satellites were already out there because I've been manifesting this. And sure enough, we sold the gym the day after, uh, and then March 19th, there was the biggest, there was the real lockdowns. Yeah. My wife and I, before she sent the email out to the gym, I said, I am not inspired to do this and we're still going to stick with our plan. We're doubling down here. And she goes, what do you mean? I go, we're leaving the day after Memorial Day, no matter what. I go, I'll bankrupt this month before we go. We're going. And sure enough, the cars fell where we made. They sold the gym. It worked out better than we could imagine. And that's something else, too, that I really love is I think about situations that I'm getting into, and I think about the worst version of them, and I play them out in my brain till... I work through the feelings and I accept the worst outcome. So I said, so what? How many people are going to go broke this year with all this stuff? I go, you think me and you are going to be only two chumps at a party saying we want BK in 2020? I go, we live in America, first of all, where the president went BK. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you have this crisis. You think we're the only ones? We got nothing to be embarrassed about. Let's roll. Right. And I packed up the family. We did a 13-day, I called it the Cisco Expedition. 13 <laughs> days, we drove across the country. Me, my wife, my eight-month-old son, and we, we got to San Clemente on June 7th. It took us three weeks of bouncing around Airbnbs to find our house. And now we live three quarters of a mile from the ocean. We've been there since July 1st. And uh, and it's it's been all the things. It's an adventure. And an adventure is an adventure because it's fun. And everything that's fun is also including scary, tests me. I've cried. 
I've wanted to give up. I've thought about going home more times or moving. I'm sorry, this is my home. I thought about going back to Chicago many times and felt unsafe. Didn't feel like I had my people with me. Doubted myself. Doubted everything about me. Still working on it. Still feel it more and more, more than ever. And yet at the same time, this is where we are now. I focus completely my work on with men. And uh, I was very happy uh, and satisfied with what I did in the CrossFit space. And it, the, the most difficult part about moving away from the CrossFit space, and I, I realized that this is hard, is breaking up with something that you love. That was the hardest part for me because when I used to date girls and I I knew the relationship was over, I would just treat them like crap till they broke up with me. Yet to consciously leave something you love. And I had a full ceremony with myself alone at the gym. And I stood in the middle of the gym and said, oh, here across it because we had a big sign up there, excellence is our mission. I looked at it and I said, I've given you the best decade of me. And all I hope is, is that I made you proud and it's time for me to go, my love. And then we left. Those, uh, those leaving, I can relate so much because I've had multiple businesses that I've chose to walk away from even though blood sweat tears more blood <laughs> yeah uh and and you and at the moment it's hard but you got to you know and i'm so thankful I'm, I'm as i'm sure you are i'm so thankful i made those steps away from where i was at because it, all it's done is given me that much more passion and emotion and ammunition to succeed in the next thing i'm done and everything is a, is a step Right. Like everything is, is I'm ready to level up. Yes. It's painful. It's painful. It's painful because you have to let go first. And I've spoken to a lot of people that want the other thing to be going. But no, 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 Jojo, you got to create the void first. And then you get the other thing. Yeah. yeah. God doesn't, the, the divine, or whoever anyone believes, universe, whatever. And if you don't believe in something, well, that's a, probably a problem. The gods favor the bold. They will show up for the bold. The bold create the voids first. Not just, you know, you, you have to be willing to let it go before God shows up. God doesn't show up with the spoils before you let go because that's not bold. You have to say that, you know, I, I share this clip with people all the time. Lieutenant Dan facing the storm in Forrest Gump. One of my favorite views and or scenes in every movie I've ever watched. The best. Yeah. That is 110% what most people aren't willing to do. Yet what happens? He's the only boat that survives, and I say this all the time. After that, shrimping was easy. That's what Forrest says, right? After that, and then all you see all the nets, and he's like, Bubba Gump Shrimp. And he's just like, oh, no, you have to play chicken. I really believe you have to play chicken with God a little bit. So God knows that you mean business. I call it the lieutenant, having a Lieutenant Dan moment. I think, you know, anybody who's honest and who has had breakthrough in their life has probably had a Lieutenant Dan moment. Yes. Little crazy, yeah. little off the rocker, right? Where you're like, it's a showdown. It's between you and me. And they scream and he's like, you call this a storm with his little stubby legs, right? Like... <laughs> Damn, right. one good, one more good breeze, bro, and no one will ever find you, you crazy beat. You know what I mean? But that's the ego. Just give it a little bit of love. That ant, we're animals, right? Like we could try to use this thing all the time. Our minds, 
embrace that animal because that animal is there for a reason. Because I, I love it. I, I don't, the important thing for me is to make sure that I'm where I'm holding the leash of the animal and the animal's not holding the leash around me anymore. That's all it is. I don't want that animal to go anywhere. It just used to control me in my 20s. And now I know how to, I have a better relationship with the animal, but I don't want him to ever leave me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. I think it's really good. I think a lot of people need to step into that and really embrace that and, and take it as kind of like a calling card for this is how you move to the next level. This is, this is how you do it. Anger is the most misunderstood, best fuel source on planet Earth. It's just mischanneled usually. And then also, too, in a lot of men, it gets shamed so much that they don't know how to, they repress it so much, they don't find healthy ways to express it. Yeah, yeah so true. So true. So a few questions before we wrap this up, because your story is absolutely fascinating. I've heard parts that I haven't heard before, and I'm just like. Thank you, man. I appreciate man. you. Uh, who, like just one person, and I know this is tough, but wh- who has been the biggest influence in your business growth? And that can be, you know, personal development, whatever, but like who or, or what? You know, maybe as a book. They, I, I know exactly who they are. They're two people. Okay. Aaron Hind and Orion Mellahan are the founders. Uh, Aaron is the president, and uh, Orion is the CEO of Life Aid, Fit Aid. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I call them my padrinos. Padrinos in Spanish is godfathers. And, uh, they were the first men that I met in modern day growth of Angelo successful business that I saw men making money, succeeding in business by not and not by being rude, ignorant, taking advantage of people and actually enjoying the ride. Very cool. They they have been absolutely amazing to me. I can't my gratitude for them is oh just so so deep. That's awesome. Okay, a few more questions. Uh, favorite way to learn? Podcast, books, blogs, websites, YouTube videos? I will say that I, I love sitting down, uh, watching videos and taking notes. Mm-hmm. Anytime I, I'd like to do both. I don't want to just listen i don't want to watch there's something about me taking in information you, you know anyway I, I i read podcasts yet for me i'd like being fully present and so there's something about me taking the information hitting pause and then writing it down helps me really remember the key things and so it's a combination of both. Anything where I could take in, but then also write out, rings true on me. I did it this morning. I I just I took a little course online, some like one of those online courses, two and a half hours through it, and I have the video on one screen, and then I have an Evernote note on the other one, and I'm just taking notes and downloading there. That seems to be the best thing for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, <clears throat> I want to wrap this up, but before I wrap up with the last question, uh, are you still writing a book? Oh my God. That's the wrong question because you, uh, you say you lean into tough things. So there's no way you've stopped writing your book. Great question. Last week, uh, the person that I've asked to help me with, we officially finished the rough draft of the book. Ooh, congratulations. It's big. Thank you so much. Yeah, we chipped away at it. Took me took me a bit to find out how I was going to get this out of me. And I realized that I wasn't a story writer. I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And so what we did is we created an outline and every week we would have a Zoom 
and I would talk through a chapter and then I would just get it transcribed. Like there's the attachments now, like God or whatever. And now we're working through all of the transcription. So uh, I actually finished the the rough draft, which last week I, I celebrated. And uh, now we're working through rough draft number one. Then we're going to have a second draft and then it's going to go to editing. And I'm really excited. So super, uh, I stayed the course. It was it was one month of staring at the computer screen, calling myself a failure because I didn't understand my best way to get information out of me to just write an essay for me. I don't know if it was because of school, not my style. I just try to throw away wise as fast as I can. It's my favorite Marcus Aurelius quote. It's like, if the cucumbers bitter, throw it away. If the brambles are in the road, go around them. There's nothing else you need to know. So I didn't simmer on why that wasn't it for too long. I, I shamed myself for a little while. And then I said, hey, man, if I could talk this out to you, I would knock this out in a month, yep. two months. And he's like, all right. And then my friend, Ricky Alexander, who's an author. So let's do it. He's a podcaster and author. He was down to do it. And we got this all out. And now we're working through our rough draft. So yeah. thank you for asking. I appreciate you. Uh, the alpha hippie code. The alpha hippie code. This is the working title. Alpha hippie code, but every man needs to know to go pro. That's awesome. Yeah, super excited to get my signed copy of that when the time is right. Oh my goodness, for sure. <laughs> Just a little projection there. So uh, I like it. Yep. Uh, you know, manifestation. Uh, <laughs> I'm down for it, bro. Right on. And then my last question is if you could go back in time and share one piece of advice to yourself, what would it be? Just one. You are prepared. Good. That's really good. Yeah. Well, I want to cry. Yeah, you are prepared. At what age would you have liked to heard that? Hear that? What age would you think that would be? Would have been the most impactful? In my uh, early year, uh, mid twenties, mm -hmm. when I was starting the gym and just full of doubt and not believing of myself or you know, allowing short-term failures to really question me and question my abilities. And I still remind me of that now as I'm stepping into Alpha Hippie and there's these new skills that I have to go learn and, and, and I'm going to practice and, and I get filled with doubt now moving to this new arena. Every time I step into a new arena, that's my mantras. You are prepared. You, I am prepared. And just doing that allows me to go and do the things and go learn the new things because now I'm not doubting myself. That's good. I think that's solid. I would have wanted to hear it in my twenties too, for sure. Yeah, that's solid. All right, brother. I want to, I want everybody to listen and understand how they can get a hold of you and what it is you do. Tell them about alpha hippie um, and your, your courses, how they can be, go pro as a man. Yeah, uh, everything is on our social channels at I am Alpha Hippie. Our website is IamAlphaHippie.com. And uh, anyone listening to this, I am the, the DM responder. And so please, if you have any questions or if there's any way that I could be of service, the only reason you do not get any level of service from me is because you don't reach out to me not because I'm not willing to give it, even for free, right? There's a, a obviously not all of it for free, yet at the same time, if there's a question or if there's any little thing, I am here to be of service before I'm here to be of commerce. That's incredible. And from a man who has done over 238 podcast episodes, that is like high level, <laughs> that's a lot of episodes. Um, I, I just want to commend you for that long standing work. I know how impactful that is for people. And so it's, it's incredible. And I know I have personally met men who have done some of your courses 
And man, they, they tell me over and over again, how incredibly impactful that was on them. And looking at, uh, I, I have an interview with one of them soon and, uh, the man he is, is incredible. And I know that has a lot to do with you and what you've done. So I want to, I want to thank you for that. And I would, uh, love for people to reach out to you for men to reach out to you. And then again, can't wait for the book to come out. It's going to be really cool to read. Scott, thank you so much for your support and seeing me as I wish to be seen. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to the Stories That Sell podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a rating and review and subscribe to hear interviews with incredible guests each and every week.